Hello, everybody. Turn your Bibles to James 1. <clears throat> the uh, Whiskey Row Fire. As we start with the Whiskey Row Fire, which is a fire that occurred in 1900 in Prescott, Arizona. The uh, cause of the fire, which burned the town to the ground... As you can see there, that's the palace. Uh, we've had a conference right near there uh, twice down in Prescott, Arizona, and that, that place doesn't look like that anymore. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, it's fully restored. But a miner stuck his candle into the wall of his hotel room and then went out on the town, and this candle uh, fell off. So that's what you have there on the other side, is they would have that device, jam it into a wall, uh, and then um, and then that would be their light. And it, the candle fell off, fell upon the bed, and eventually the whole town was on fire. <clears throat> As you can see, the palace there in the picture was completely destroyed. And uh, one of the great stories of this fire was that they pulled the piano out of that uh, out of the palace and rolled it up the street and continued to play it and drink beer and sing songs while the whole town was on fire. Uh, one of our own, Brad Courtney, has written a, an entire book on this fire. He's written several historical books about Prescott, Arizona, which you can buy. Uh, <coughs> and uh, I've read it myself. I, I'm kicking myself for not bringing it in today to double-check some facts, but... Uh, I had forgotten it at home. Sorry, Brad. But a shout-out to Brad and to Whiskey Row, which is a super fun place to visit now. In the Bible, James 3 in particular describes the tongue as a small flame that starts an enormous fire. It's not the only place where huge fires have occurred, uh, in, in, starting with such small flames. The use of our words sinfully will set fire and damage people's souls. Uh, in our own relationships, a great term that I've heard for it lately is a relationship arsonist. That uh, We can use words to hurt people's hearts. And we have to be, as James will tell us today, extremely careful about it. James is going to tell us also that if we can tame our tongues, we can tame our entire bodies. And that is straight from the Holy Spirit. So it is true. So with that in mind, let's pray as we uh, delve into this subject and... Um, Give over to God any problems. Uh, we should, as James actually tells us, we should not approach God's word with any negativity on our minds, but with a ready heart, uh, humble and ready to learn through his spirit. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for the guidance of every single aspect of life that your word gives. Today we, we look to the use of our words, the use of our tongue, and we particularly focus on James chapter 3. You have revealed to us that the tongue is an extremely dangerous instrument. Uh, we can use it for your glory or we can use it to use great harm. Uh, it is difficult to control. You tell us that as well, Father, but you can control it. We can't on our own. And so we seek you, Father, and seek your word that we may use our words to each other's benefit and to your glory. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So in James chapter 1, look at verse 19. James preempts this discussion with, <clears throat> uh, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And uh, this, these uh, quick to hear, so to slow to speak, and slow to anger actually speak of humility and self-control. If, if I'm slow to speak, I control myself. And as James is going to say, I control my body. To be slow to anger is to control my heart. To be quick to hear, which is the first one, is to be humble. We've already seen this, actually, in chapters 1 and 2, 
that, <coughs> that, that quick to hear is actually proper hearing. Uh, hearing without works, James says, is, is useless uh, if, we don't, if we don't apply what we've heard. So, as he says in chapter 1, hear the word of God implanted, or have the word in God implanted, and that's going to result in good works. Uh, James's caution to us, as a reminder, was that our lack of works uh, in <coughs> uh, that a lack of works in the believer's faith uh, will result in a dead life. And what usually occurs when there is an absence of works in a person's life, and an absence of humility, an absence of uh, true production, is that there's a lot of words. And especially as believers, we can talk a good game. But actually, it's not what we say that's important. In fact, you know, when it comes to spiritually, what's important is what we do. And when we do what we're to do, what we're supposed to do, uh, that's going to prepare us to use our words properly as well. So there's a lot of talking about the faith that's done. There's a lot of talking about the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of talking by people who don't do what the Bible tells them to do. So today we look at slow to speak, which is going to produce control of the entire body, as James says. So starting in chapter 3, James is going to get into some specifics of this first area. Uh, of <clears throat> So James 1 and 2 have been about, uh, really, about what the whole book is about. Uh, the book is about us as believers living out our Christian faith. And he has explained that beautifully, actually, in chapters 1 and 2. Starting in chapter 3, he's going to get into specifics. And the first specific he handles is how we speak. <clears throat> in James 3, 1 through 12, that's our passage for today, that the tongue is a dangerous instrument. And it certainly is. It's so dangerous, in fact, that hell has chosen to use it to its ends, to its own ends. So look at verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Uh, <coughs> at the time, there are, uh, you know, this... This office, again, James is written very early on in the church. And so the structure of churches has not really matured yet. As we see in Corinthians, uh, you know, anybody can get up and speak. You know, it's, remember, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when you speak, speak in turn. Stop interrupting each other. If you have a prophecy, wait, you know, go one at a time. If you're speaking in a tongue, wait, go one at a time. And, and so it shows us that in the early church, there's this, you know, if you feel like you have something to teach, you probably have the opportunity to do it. And James is saying here, look, the tongue is dangerous. And here's the thing. If you're going to be teaching doctrine, if you're going to be teaching God's word, be very careful because you're going to be judged for this. You know, it's, you're, you're going to be evaluated by God. You can't just say, well, I'm a teacher of the word and then say whatever you please. And so, as James will say here, let not many of you be teachers knowing that as such will incur a stricter judgment. And that judgment would be the judgment seat of Christ. It would be the only one that would apply. So then he continues, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Perfect? No, none of us are perfect. This word means complete or mature. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Uh, a lovely part of the grace of God's word is the admittance that we all stumble. All right, so welcome to the club. If you've beaten yourself up over your sins, you're, uh, well, should we say you're in good company or you're in bad company, one or the other. But all of us stumble in many ways. Notice he says we, James includes himself. And remember, if you remember at the front of our, or the beginning of our study of James, James's nickname was James the Just. Or if you remember his other nickname was Camel Knees. Camel Knees was one who was, he prayed on his knees so often that he got the nickname Camel Knees. Apparently, his knees looked like camel knees because he was on them all the time. 
Uh, and so yet James admits that we, including himself, we stumble in many ways. But, and this is beautiful, you know, there's a lot of, a part, there's, there's parts, how many parts of us do we need to control? We have all our senses, right? We have uh, our, our lustful thoughts, other thoughts, whatever they are, uh, the things that are our flaws that we're trying to overcome. There's uh, all kinds of stuff that, you know, we have to control this whole body and use this body unto the grace of God, right? So Romans 12:1 says, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. So basically what that says, as Paul writes, is that I'm presenting myself, my whole body, to God as a sacrifice. In other words, I am your servant, Lord, do with me as you will. In Romans chapter 6, we're to use the instruments of our bodies, the members of our bodies, sorry, as instruments of righteousness. And here James tells us, look, let's simplify this. You want to control your whole body? Perfect. You control your tongue. You control the whole thing. I've thought about this. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that right? Can that be right? And it certainly is. If you will, if you are ready to say something and you're like, nope. If you're ready to say something in the wrong way and you're like, no, I better rephrase that. You have control because the thing you do the most is probably talk than you do act. People talk a lot. It seems that the Holy Spirit tells us in this passage that all of us talk too much, or at least most of us. You talk too much. That was an old rap song from from the 80s. You talk too much. You never shut up. (laughs) And and so it's a bold statement. It really is. If we can control what we say, meaning that we speak that which God demands of us. And Jesus said this himself. He said, I don't speak unless the Father tells me to speak. This is the Son of God who controlled his tongue. And he's sinless. If we speak that which God wants us to speak, then we have achieved self-control of the whole body. If James's letter should be in the canon, and it should be, then this is God the Holy Spirit telling us the truth. James gives us the best treatise on uh, speech ever written. And what I, w- I must, uh, to, to tell you something, <laughs> sometimes I can't communicate my words, which is good for a communicator, I guess that um, I wrote, I was like, this has to be written by God the Holy Spirit. It's the most extensive passage on our speech that's in the Bible. And it's written by, I said, it's got to be the best in all of literature. And I picked up a commentary off my shelf, and I'm reading it, reading it. And I, I get to the, the, this commentator, one that I like very much, says this is the most, this is the best piece of literature on human speech ever written in the history of man. And so, it is true. This is where you go when you're looking for control. Now, control comes to us by God the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that when we, as we submit ourselves to the, to the will of God, that we're going to be able to control what we say by God's power. Now, James is going to say here, no one actually can control the tongue. No one. And so God is the only one who can. The grace of the Bible admits to us that none of us will ever be continuously sinless. We all stumble in many ways. If you hop uh, to, uh, back to James 2.10, he uses the same word stumbles. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Right? So there's that word stumbles again. How many of us have broken one point of the law? All of us. So we become guilty of all. Yeah. And since we are, the only salvation is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And since we are, the only control over ourselves is not by ourselves alone without God, but through faith and obedience and trust in that God the Holy Spirit will actually give us the ability to control. And and so this should give us great hope and, as James says at the front of his letter, joy. We have joy in encountering many various trials. When we're under trial and under pressure, this mouth is a dangerous place. I mean, it's always a dangerous place, but especially when we're under pressure. What is it going to (laughs) say? 
And it's amazing what it can say. So let's read the whole passage. Look at back to James 3.1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man or complete man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And yes, it certainly does. You know, boasting, boasting, boasting. And when, if you're ever to talk about your accomplishments, right, it's, it's hard not to boast. It's hard not to do that with pride. And so what we would incur from this passage is that when I'm ready to talk about my accomplishments, I should probably not. You know, err on the side of caution, unless you're truly confident that you're not going to be self-boasting, to actually just maybe let it go. That is control of the tongue. So at first here we see that um, the tongue, and what James emphasizes here is how small it is. Right? A small bit controls this big, huge horse. A small rudder controls this or directs this big ship, and the tongue directs our entire bodies. So smallness is in view, and smallness creating, or sorry, controlling bigness. So something small controlling something big. So rather than going to the big part and seeking control there, like I'm going to control my whole body, go to the small part. Control your tongue. And by controlling your tongue, control your heart, control your mind, control your soul. And then the larger thing will be controlled. So we go to the source. But he continues, another analogy, and probably the best one. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Or uh, I looked up uh, the Great Fire of Chicago. I forget what year it was. But that was blamed on Miss O'Leary's cow, if you remember that. They knew it started in a barn. Um, And then there was a great fire in Boston. That was 1872. That happened in the basement of a dry goods place. There was another fire in Boston, which allegedly happened when a guy lit his cigar at a baseball game and he dropped the match through the bleachers. And that one little match set multiple blocks on fire. And that's, James, it's it's very clear. I think it was two years ago, and I brought it up that, the, the dumb teenager out in the forests of uh, on, uh, the Columbia Gorge throwing fireworks down a gorge. He was caught, but he set thousands of acres on fire. Uh, so how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Notice God the Holy Spirit's uh, assessment of our language. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Right? You've got a venomous snake in your mouth. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. And what James is bringing out here is our hypocrisy. With it we bless our Lord and Father. On Sunday we sing all the hymns and bless Him and praise Him and recite the Bible verses, and then we get out in our car and drive home and flip off the guy who cut us off on the way home. And we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Notice that even though we're fallen, we're still in the likeness of God. For the same mouth, from the same mouth, come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Right? The world is not supposed to be like this. The world isn't supposed to be sinful. The world isn't supposed to be filled with the evil that it is. The world isn't supposed to be filled with the speech that it is. But yet God has allowed it. And we as believers must understand our lives must not be patterned after worldliness. 
That's a theme, the main theme. You can state it many ways, but it is the main theme of the book of James. Being who we are in Christ, we should not be worldly, nor should our speech be. So then he says, does a fountain send another image? James has got many great ones. Does a fountain send out the same op- from the same opening fresh and bitter water? And I, I would say here that James is definitely, ref- or probably, referring back to the Exodus generation, where when they had bitter water, they complained to Moses. And what did Moses do? What did God do? He brought water from a rock. Out of the same fountain, can both types of water come? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? And there he uses the imagery of fruit. We as believers are to be fruit bearers. And as fruit bearers, it shouldn't be the wrong kind of fruit. You know, speech, worldly speech, wrong speech, evil speech is not of what we are, nor can salt water produce fresh. So first we look at the tongue makes grand speeches. Ay, ay, ay. And the reason why we, we roll our eyes at this is because of the 24-hour news cycle. It is the bane of human existence. <laughs> It's, it's not the only one, but it's one of them. The 24-hour news cycle has people involved in uh, tricky media. That And what is it made of? Speech. It's all speech. You're not looking at pictures. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, people see it. It's made to be entertaining, but, you know, what is it? It's speech about life. It's speech about things that are considered to be important. And uh, you know, the tongue makes grand speeches. We love to boast of our accomplishments. Mankind, I mean. But Scripture tells us that we're, uh, if we're going to boast about anything, we should boast in the Lord. And if we boast in the Lord, that which we boast about is the truth in the Lord. This is what absorbs us. This is what we as believers see as important and valuable is our Lord. You know, uh, Paul said when he went to Corinth, he said, all I wanted to see in you was Christ crucified. I didn't didn't care about all the other stuff you boasted of that you had, whether it was wealth or status or influence. What I wanted to see in you was Christ crucified. And what does that mean? It means I wanted to see in you the belief, the faith, and the humility that comes from knowing that you're saved by a Lord who gave his life. That redemption, sanctification, justification, all of these things that are a part of the doctrines of salvation were in you and known and believed and loved. But, you know, what, what, and so Paul writes this in Galatians 6.14, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The boasting of the world, I died to it. You see how violent that is? What, what is crucifixion? We're, I guess we're so used to, in our mind, maybe images of Christ on the cross that we don't really see what that is. We forget. A man nailed to a cross. The Romans used the cross effectively to curb rebellion. It worked marvelously. If you walked into a Roman province and up on the hill, you saw 10, 20, 100 people up there on crosses crucified. And above their heads were thief, murderer, whatever. You'd be like, not going to be a thief in this town. Right? That's what it was for. Slow, violent death. And that's what has happened to us. God did not remake us. God did not reform us. God did not improve us. You imagine if God improved us as humans, we would be improved images of worldliness. So imagine when you became born again and saved, God made you like a genius, a super genius, a financial genius. God gave you like perfect health all the time and great amount of energy. And charisma. What would you be made for? You'd be made for the world. And you'd be great. You'd be the greatest financier. You'd be a great politician, a great leader, a great athlete, a great singer. Let's say he gave you a singing voice. 
Well, that would be something. He gave you every talent that everybody longs for. You had them all. He improved you on a worldly, a worldly manner. <laughs> God could do that. Why didn't He do that? Because that's not what He wants. That is valueless to Him. Now, I'm not saying you know good things like art and stuff are valueless, but compared to what He did for us and gave to us, they are. So what did God do to us? He crucified us. We're crucified with Christ. It's stated all over the Scripture. Crucified us. He killed us. It's violent. And then resurrected us. And so we have to see ourselves as dead to the world. And to the way the world, getting back to our topic, I mean, dead to the world in all things, but dead to the speech of the world. What does the world like to do with its language? What does the world like to do with its speech? Uh, So in Paul's case, if I'm boasting of the Lord, I'm using the tongue as a witness. I heard someone say the other day something to the effect I summarized. He said, when I do my best, no one thanks me. And then he said, so I let God do his best through me. When I work real hard, no one seems to notice. So I let God work real hard. The way he said it was even better, but it was a great statement. Yeah, I'm going to let God work here. But so often with this boasting of the tongue, I want to work and I'm going to be noticed. Did everybody see it? Who saw it? Tell me. Thank me. One of the trap, the past, pastors get sucked into that. Believe me, I am, I am as human as anybody and I have to guard myself against that completely. You know, with this big, huge church I have, you know, you have to make sure that everybody likes the message and everybody says, God, pastor, you, you did a great job there and all that. Don't think in the hum, human side of the pastor, he's not secretly looking for that. He is, every one of them. But he has to be careful. Right? He's a sinner just like the rest. All of us have to do the Lord's work and have, this is James getting at, we all have to do the Lord's work and we have to have faith that it is only to Him that I live. Because in actuality, you do. Everybody. Even the unbelievers, the whole world. They're all unto Him. We have to have the faith and ability. And by doing so, I give my entire body over to Him. My entire mind. Not just part of it. Right? As James said, you break one part of the law, you've broken it all. Don't be boasting about how you're so good at certain parts of Christianity and you don't care or even try at other parts of Christianity. Be honest with yourself. It's not condemnation for me, believe me. It's from James. (laughs) James is the one beating us over the head here. It's not me. And if I water down that message, I do you no good. And some won't like it. They'll be like, it's legalism. Call it what you want. You put a label on something so that you don't have to do it. I call that an excuse. I have to do it. You have to do it. Is it uncomfortable to do it? Absolutely. That's one of, Somebody said to me also, I've talked to quite a few people lately about spiritual things, and they said, you know, the miracles of God when they happen in my life are really bothersome. Do you know why? It was last night's, yesterday's message. They, ha- they, they bid you to change. When God works a miracle in your life, He's changing your heart. And that means a change of behavior. And that means change. And it's a pain. I don't want to change. But God says change. And so with James here, the change to us is in a, in a very sober evaluation of how we use our mouths. How we use our, our speech. How do we use our tongue towards others? Do you have a tendency to gossip? Do you have a tendency to malign, to slander, to put down? Do you have a tendency to voice your anger? Do you have a tendency to say, you know, i got to get this out, and you voice something that's sinful? Do you criticize? Do you put down those that you consider beneath you, like that homeless guy you just went by or somebody like that? 
if you do spread that, if you do speak it to another, do you know that you just threw a match into a very dry brush? So James 3.5, striking imagery. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. You know, I almost want to say, James, dude, slow down. This is rough. But James doesn't care, nor does God. This is, this is very serious stuff. The tongue is a fire, the very world. Greek word cosmos, right? Cosmos, we like to say, call it. it. It means the whole world of iniquity. The tongue is among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. The course of our life means the, the word course is a Greek word that means wheel. It literally means wheel. So this, you could picture it as your life is this spinning wheel and the axis is time. And it's spinning and it's spinning and it's spinning until it stops when you're dead. And so it's, it's on a journey, right? The course of our life is a wheel on a journey and where is it going? Well, you know, it's, for us as believers, it's going to heaven. But <clears throat> while it's in the world, while it's on its course, what does that course look like? And, and James is after this. Is it heavenly or is it satanic? Not that we're, we don't lose our salvation, but is it heavenly or is it death? Is it life? Is it the crown of life or is it death? And that's what he's after here. To uh, be using our words to damage others is to be a verbal arsonist. Uh, the, the phrase I read, which is a great phrase, is relationship arsonist. I changed it to verbal arsonist. Using the words, using our words to damage the hearts of others and relationships. James describes this verbal arsonist. So, I did a quick mental exercise as I was putting this together. Think in the past when someone, maybe when you were a kid or whenever, that someone said something to you that hurt and it wasn't just superficial. It was deep. And it didn't take me long. Right. Actually, some of these things, they pop up into my memory over and over again. Not every day, but every once in a while. There's something that someone said to me. Uh, times when I was young. And it's, a, you know, and it causes this lifelong damage. You know, you were seeking love, and you got shunned. You were seeking affirmation, and it wasn't given to you. You were seeking camaraderie, uh, friendship. You longed for it, and it was not. And, and the words were said to you that hurt. It not only was not not given to you, but you were belittled and put down. A fire, and it can hurt. It can hurt somebody for the rest of their lives. And by the way, it, it's happened to all of us. I, I can't imagine that anybody that it hasn't happened to, even those who have grown up in amazing households and have had amazing lives in the past. So, I mean, around good, good Christian people, but none of us. I mean, only, God is the only one that can really fulfill us. So. The tongue speaks sinfully, and a brush fire is begun, which slowly spreads. The careless word, the purposely hurtful word. And we can do it to each other. And so, actually, after I did that experiment, and I thought up a few things, before I started pointing fingers at people and saying, oh, yeah, that's why I am what I am, because my brother or somebody said that to me years ago, how many times have I done it to others? And that was actually a longer list because that's, that's, I remember those. And those pop up in my head from time to time, but what a loser, a blank loser I am, you know. And so uh, when have we used, we have to be careful. We can be careless with our words, purposely hurtful, 
gossip, slander, venting of anger, venting of jealousy or hate, and all set fire to other people in our relationships. God the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. The Holy Spirit's assessment of mankind's use of language is that it has set the world on fire and that hell has said, hey, this is something we could use to our advantage. Imagine that. The devil's like, oh, yeah, human speech. That's one, of our, that's one in our wheelhouse. You know, that's one of our great weapons is human speech. And it is all through time, all through human history. And now, you know, language is used in news and media. It's used to, to torch people. And we are called to use our words to forgive, to encourage, and to comfort. Vastly different. Now, if you've had people like that in your life, you know, and I hope you do, We are blessed that when we have people in our lives that use their words to encourage us, to uh, help us, to forgive us, uh, to love us, to actually provide for us. And who uses their speech the most besides people? We are to do this for one another. Uh, We are to supply one another with what each other needs in our spiritual lives. But it is God's speech that actually heals everything that is is scarred or wrong in there. It heals our flaws. It's God's speech to us through his word that <clears throat> instead of setting us on fire, actually delivers us from the fire. God's word. And truly getting bad. The, the, um, well, we'll see it today. Let me hurry up here. I'm getting off. Getting off here. So, a long time ago, I heard a story in a movie. It was actually a great little movie uh, about a Catholic uh, parish. Um, I think it was called Doubt or something like that. Um, anyway, if you want to know this movie, let me know. Uh, <coughs> uh, anyway, the, in the in the movie, a story went like this. A woman came to her local Catholic priest and confessed to him that she had gossiped terrible things about another person. She asked the priest how the damage could be fixed. He told her to take a large feather pillow and some scissors and to go up onto the top of a tall building. When you're there, stand at the edge of the building and cut the pillow open and shake out all the feathers and let the breeze take them away. And once all the feathers have been removed from the pillow and the breeze has taken them away, then go gather every single feather and put them back in the pillow. That is a perfect description. Because when you slander or gossip or malign somebody, to how many ears has it gone? Could you possibly pull it back? Could you possibly stop the fire, the conflagration? You couldn't be able to. So when we start a fire with our words, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. We have to be careful with what we say. So to play loosely with the tongue is to play with fire. And then this phrase that James uses, it sets uh, on fire the course of our lives. That means that our entire lives are affected by how we speak. I mean, this is God the Holy Spirit writing to us that if it does set on fire the course of your entire life, think about it, how you speak will affect your entire life. The course, again, is this wheel. It's going. It's your, it's your journey. And to what, or really how important, is it? The tongue, then, is set on fire by hell. Satan uses the evil that is embedded in our language to his own ends. And what does Satan want? Yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> I, I just know what he what he likes to do, so it seems. And it's evil, death, ugliness, deception. It's destruction. That's what he's about. What did Jesus say of him? He was a murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning.
In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, after Peter had confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of God, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said beautifully, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, well, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will go to Jerusalem and he will be crucified. He told them that he was going to die a violent death. And Peter's response was, God forbid it, Lord. God forbid it, Lord. I find it uh, beautifully ironic there that Peter gave the Lord a command and then called him Lord. I forbid it, Lord. (laughs) Lord means authority. Anyway, but what is Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. Peter said something. That get behind me, Satan, kind of gets to this, what James is writing about. Peter's tongue was set on fire by hell to try and dissuade Christ from his walk to the cross. And this Satan is looking for this opportunity. He will, if, if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to us. Just because we're believers doesn't mean, you know, I would say we can't be demon-possessed. We've, that's a, that's a, a contention amongst uh, certain theologians. I don't think about that at all. But uh, sometimes I think I'm demon-possessed, but it, it's more probably influence. But can the, can the Satan influence our tongues? Of course, he can influence our entire minds. That we speak selfishly, that we gossip, malign, that we feel the need to vent our frustration rather than control it. Who's going to control it? God, the Holy Spirit. Because no one can control it. Go to a psalm. We're going to look at a few psalms or rifle through a few psalms. Go to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, verse 9. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. Once again, God the Holy Spirit tells us how enamored he is with our speech. <laughs> yeah, he'd say this of Shakespeare. You know, I'm just trying to think of those who had, you know, spoke with the greatest language. Uh, um, you know, God's not impressed. No one can tame it. It's a restless evil full of poison. All right, Psalm 5, 9. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. You know, who's that? You know, they, it's us. It's the human race when we're acting apart from God. Psalm ten seven. Actually, these first two are written by Paul in Romans chapter 3 to describe us, so we, we get hit with them twice in the Bible. Psalm 10:7, his mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. So we've got the throat is an open grave. We flatter with the tongue. So the throat is a grave. The mouth is curses and deceit and oppression. Under our tongue is mischief and wickedness. Human race. Psalm 73, 8. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. There's the bragging, the boasting. They They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens. They speak against God himself, and their tongue parades through the earth. There's the human race boasting against God, walking all over the earth, saying, we're awesome. Boasting. So what we have so far in these psalms is the throat is an open grave. It's full of curses, deceit, and oppression, mischief, and wickedness. It mocks God and parades throughout the earth boasting. Psalm 106. Look at verse 32. This is about Moses. Uh, it was said of Moses in Numbers that he was the great, he was the most humblest man alive. 
I guess we'd have to temper that with at the time. All right? But that's a pretty big statement. Moses was an amazing man of God. But notice, Psalm 106.32. They also provoked him, God, to wrath at the waters of Meribah. All right, this ties to James nicely because at the waters of Meribah, that's where the waters were bitter. And James said, out of the same well, i.e., your mouth, should not come bitter water and sweet. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit, and he spoke rashly with his lips. Whether it, did God speak rashly, or did Moses? Well, I guess that's up in contention, but it, when I first read it, I, I saw Moses speaking rashly with his lips. So you say, well, at Meribah, did he speak rashly? Well, just give him time. Because when, uh, when they were at the rock a second time and God told Moses to speak to the rock and the water would come out, Moses called the whole bunch of them rebels and then he hit the rock twice with his, with his staff out of anger. Now, I would say if Moses lost his temper after 40 years in the wilderness with those people, bravo, right? He's got something to boast about. But because of that, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He was disciplined highly. And what does it show us? That's what we're after here. The greatest of us cannot control our tongues all the time. And so that's why, and we should add this, although James doesn't really talk about it, if someone you know and love, it doesn't have to be who you know and love or who you don't know and love or don't love. (laughs) If they speak against you, what must you do? You must forgive. There's no other options for us that God gives us as believers. We must forgive. Now, at times, do you have to separate from people? It may be, and that's between you and God. Um, But be careful about that as well. Uh, But uh, we are to forgive. Yeah, Uh, Psalm 140. Go to Psalm 140, verse 3. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of viper is under their lips. Salah. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. And poison of a viper is under their lips. So, again, this that in poison is language that James uses to describe the tongue as well. Uh, Jesus, in the Gospels, Matthew 12, 34, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. There's a lot in the scripture about what we say. Colossians 3, 8 and 9. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And then finally, a positive command. These are much nicer. than All we've seen so far is negative, negative, negative. Which we deserve it. But in Colossians 4, 6, finally a positive command. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And then lastly, we've got the beast. The beast who comes out of the water, Revelation 13. This is Satan's man during the... He's the one who rules the, rules the earth, or the ten kingdoms really seven kingdoms, but who's counting? Uh, he rules the kingdoms in the, in, during the tribulation. In Revelation 13:5. there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months, for three and a half years, was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. All right, so we go all the way from you know, uh, what is beautiful speech to this demonic, awful. It's the, outside of Satan, this is probably the worst creature that ever existed. And that's what he does. He speaks blasphemous words. <clears throat> uh, and so, 
let's see, where do we want to go? Yeah, go to Ephesians, if you would please. Ephesians 4. And so how we speak to one another is obviously important. We can be the one who sets a fire, and we have to remember that. Uh, There's multiple examples of small flames that have created huge fires and burned down towns and forests, and we must remember that. And remember that also that as small as the tongue is, it can control the entire body. So it's vastly important that we control what we say and that we are um, careful about what we say and know that we're accountable for what we say. So the Christian needs to remember that everywhere he goes, he carries a mouth that has a potentially venomous viper in it and that I must be careful about what I say. Yeah, it's... Especially if you're, uh, well, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're, there's various personality types. Some people are more quiet and reserved than others. Some people are outspoken, and they probably use more words than the quiet people. Uh, But, you know, what we say, what we think um, is is going to affect people in in a very good way or a bad way. So Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, 4, 425 Paul says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are royal family. So, in the royal family, speak truth to one another. Nothing else. How do we know nothing else? Paul says it. Go to verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it will give grace to those who hear. Not... Not like some unwholesome words are okay, but no unwholesome words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved brethren. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Love as God loves. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. For the, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. This you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this is not to scare anybody into thinking they lose their salvation. What Paul is saying here is that the immoral, the impure, those who are unsaved, have no inheritance. But what about you? This is Paul's point. If we are children of God, and we are, and we have this inheritance in his family, in his body. Just as James is saying, our whole lives should be in accordance with and in harmony with who we are. And this gets also to how we talk. It's very specific here. This is how we speak to one another. So as soon as you're about to give that no, I want to say that so bad, no, I'll say, well, who cares? I'm forgiven anyway. What about the fire? What about the people who are going to get burned by the fire? What about that person's soul that you might hurt? You know, you say, well, it won't hurt them that bad. Come on, toughen up. Get That's what we tell, we, we tell people to get thick skin. Here, I'm going to tell you what I think about you. Get thick skin. <laughs> and be like, God would say, shut up. What you think about them doesn't matter. Yeah, of course there's instances where that has to be done, like a parent to a child, or in some cases where there's an authority in those under authority situation. But you know what I mean. I mean when we're being sinful with our mouths and voicing our frustration. God says that this is not a light matter. Your tongue can be set on fire by hell and you could start a fire that you can't put out. 
Those feathers, once they're released all over town, you ain't getting them all back. Not remotely. How do you know how far that fire is going to go? Why take the chance? And so knowing who we are in God, we know we have this wonderful instrument, which is hopefully controlled by our brains, and it is our mouths. We can speak lovely words. Wholesome. What does he say? No unwholesome. So we can speak wholesome, godly, comforting, forgiving, guiding. You know, and as we grow in grace and knowledge, we can learn how to use our words far better in skillful ways that we never thought of. You see, God the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us self-control and by that. And so one last passage. We've just got a few minutes left. So go look at Second Peter because Peter uses this same word. Getting back to James, he says, Everybody stumbles. If you don't stumble in what you say, you're a mature man. Peter uses the same word stumble and reveals how we prepare ourselves not to stumble. This is how we prepare ourselves not to stumble. What this means, as Peter shows us, is that Christianity, our Christian lives, are preventative. In other words, we don't react, we're not here reactionary, although at times we have to be. But say, for instance, why are we studying James 3 now? It's so that in the future, we can use our tongues properly, and when we're tempted not to, we're ready. And Peter here says, look, look 2 Peter 1.8. For if these qualities are yours, the qualities are back in verses... I think it's 6 and 7 or 5 and 6. But they're the virtues of God. He says, if these qualities, God's virtues, are yours and are, that's a key word there, increasing. In other words, I am constantly growing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins doesn't mean he's not saved. He just has no eyes on the cross whatsoever or on heaven. Short-sighted means that I only see earth and not heaven. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Again, I'm not, I'm not uh, affirming my salvation. I'm making certain about my election. I'm elected to what? Holiness and blamelessness. And I want to be certain of that. And there's a great way to be, again, not to confirm your salvation, but to be sort of, we'll get back to James's language, to justify the faith in my life and that I'm going to actually go for it. I'm going to actually live what I've been called to live. So make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never, and there's our word, same word that James uses, stumble. So I'm preparing myself, right? How do I prepare myself? Grow constantly. Keep learning, keep studying, keep applying, keep longing for growth, keep praying. Keep reaching forward to that which is ahead and forgetting what lies behind and reach for this life. And Peter says here, if you do that, you won't stumble. So we're preparing ourselves, right? It's preparatory. As long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And I'll let you know, you've got to love here how Peter brings, then he throws in, first off, you'll never stumble. That's an awesome benefit. But then the extra benefit is at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus, Paul Paul writes this. It's very vague, but it's good enough. (laughs) That's funny for me to say the Bible is good enough. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. James brings it up too in in his epistle. We're going to appear before Jesus Christ, every one of us, and we're going to be recompensed for our deeds, whether good or bad. Period. There you go. There's a detail that you know in the judgment seat of Christ. It's beautifully vague. Because if any more detail were given to us, we'd be like, oh, we'd be... Oh, conniving, all kinds of questions. What we get is the bare bones. 
good, bad, and you'll be recompensed for those deeds. So it's important. It's vastly important. And how we use our tongues will determine the course of our lives, whether it's set on fire or whether we, it is controlled, I should say, by God the Holy Spirit. Remember, control your tongue, you control the body. <clears throat> but be careful, the tongue can be set on fire by hell itself. And so we must be extremely cautious about how we speak. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the exhortation. Thank you for the warning of what our speech can be used for. It can be salted and bring great pleasure to others, encouragement, comfort, forgiveness. Uh, It can bring joy to others. Or it can do things that hell wants it to do. We know, Father, that the choice is ours, but we rely upon you, upon your word, and upon your spirit to make that choice. And let us not forget, Father, these passages. This is the passage on speech that has been written for the history of the world. May we not forget, Father, that our tongues can set set a forest fire. Let us be careful and let us rejoice, Father, to know that we can glorify you with how we speak. In Christ's name we pray, amen.